Welcome to VaultureCast, a podcast from data privacy enthusiasts to data privacy enthusiasts. Here, we unlock the secrets of data protection. Press play and join us as we explore the latest trends, technologies, and best practices in securing data in use. From encryption algorithms and key management to compliance and risk mitigation, we'll dive into the world of data encryption and build an encrypted future together. This is VaultureCast, safeguarding your data one byte at a time. That's perfect. So hello, guys. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you, Pedro. That's great. So today we have Sarah Armstrong with us. She's currently Chief Security Advisor at Microsoft. And she's an awesome professional, and that's why she'll be here sharing a little bit about her experience and the things she's been learning in this industry that is helping so many people. So, Sarah, can you start introducing yourself and talking a little bit more about what you've been doing, your experience, and all that? Yeah, thank you. So, hello, everyone. I'm delighted to be with you. Uh, yeah, my name is Sarah Armstrong-Smith. I'm currently the Chief Security Advisor at Microsoft. So I predominantly work with uh, Microsoft's biggest strategic enterprises, mainly across Europe. Um, and that's at the C-suite level. So I liaise with CISO, CIO, CTOs, etc. And it's really to understand what are their biggest challenges when it comes to cybersecurity. So what's kind of keeping them up at night? Um, so whether that's like looking at that now and what's the future look like? Uh, so I spend a lot of my time speaking to customers. I also speak to strategic uh, partners as well. So some of those are sort of big service integrators. There might be big consultancies and are very similar in terms of that liaison with customers, understanding the threat landscape and uh, really looking at, um, you know, just things, how, how they're evolving. So that's kind of my day job, if you like. Um, so second to that, I also act as a board advisor um, to several SMEs. Um, and that's really great because I, I get to work with some really great innovative companies that are really trying to solve some of those big challenges uh, that we spoke about. And obviously yep. one of those is actually Voltry. So I'm really, really pleased and proud um to be working with you that's that's awesome thank you so much sarah and we'll be talking a little bit more about what you what you shared right now um but as we as we know you have an extensive uh experience in the cybersecurity industry but i was wondering how did you get into cybersecurity and that that's the first question actually how did you get into cybersecurity <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I have to roll the clock back over 25 years, actually. Um, so my career started in business continuity, um, particularly with the millennium bug, if we can go all, the, all that far backwards. Um, so it kind of pivoted from business continuity into disaster recovery and crisis management. I entered the world of cybersecurity in 2007 um, when I joined Fujitsu. Um, so I've spent 15 years working in cybersecurity. Um, when I joined Fujitsu, they're obviously a big um, outsource provider. Um, so they provide um, big hosting services, in essence, for customers. And some of those customers will have outsourced their, ent their entire IT environment, either in entirety 
or a subset of that. So my role really was to combine business continuity, the disaster recovery, the crisis management and the cybersecurity together. In essence, it's really about that big picture, really understanding what are we here to protect and why? And that's really where that business continuity kind of came into play because it's really looking at all the interconnected parts and really trying to understand. Now, as I say, what are we trying to protect? I think sometimes from a cybersecurity perspective, often we are in this mindset that we're here to protect infrastructure, like network servers, endpoints, et cetera. And we are, uh, but ultimately we need to understand what are those servers and endpoints actually hosting? Um, So they're hosting data and it's the data itself, which is the most important, uh, but also the people around that as well. And that's what kind of really fascinates me. Um, Probably in 2015, um, we had the GDPR um, in the EU, so the General Data Protection Regulation. That kind of was really brought to the forefront how important uh, privacy is and security. So that kind of brought those two elements together. And and I think it's really important that we don't lose sight when we're thinking about some of these big cyber attacks, these data breaches. Now, a lot of these things that we're talking about, that the true impact is on the people, um, particularly when they have their data and identity stolen or used for nefarious purposes. Yeah, that's that's super interesting to hear because uh, hearing your experience, I believe so many things changed, right? In a cybersecurity world, very much. like the, the, the threats and all that. And you have to be very, very updated to understand the world and, and keep being, you know, um, helping these companies, right? Very much so. so. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So you were talking a little bit about uh, crisis management and all that. And we know that you recent, uh, recently published a book about effective crisis management. Do you want to tell us a little bit more um, about it and the topic itself and what it means to organizations in general? Yeah, Pedro, it's really that look back over the last 25 years, I've always said. And I know during that time, I've been on the front line of many, many different types of incidents. So whether that's a cyber attack, we've had IT failures, floods, fires, kind of you name it. <laughs> Really, and then really what I'm trying to look at then is that effective incident response and crisis management. And I've written the book from my perspective, so it's in my voice in essence. So I share a number of stories, case studies, and personal kind of anecdotes, if you like. But I think as an industry as a whole, um, we are very bad at learning lessons and we keep repeating the same mistakes. So and yeah. I think, you know, if you look in the you look on the media or in the news, you're always hearing stories about the, you know, some cyber cyber attack. There's been a data breach. There's been a major incident. But we kind of keep seeing the same things repeating themselves, and that's really what the book's intended for. So it's really examining these type of incidents, um, but really, how do we drive positive change? So how do we stop repeating the same things yep. um, over and over? And I deliberately chose the the case studies in the book because they were the worst examples of their kind. And it really, I'm really trying to get people to think about how bad does it have to get before we make a change. So if I give you yeah. some of the examples of some of the case studies that I've included. So I have a case study about Deepwater Horizon, um, which yeah. was the worst environmental disaster in US history. 
Uh, there's a case, say, about 9-11, uh, which is the worst terrorist attack in the U.S. I'd probably say it's the worst terrorist attack in the world, actually, uh, not yeah, just in the probably. U.S. Um, but I also, there's there's another one in there, which is from the U.K., um, which is a tower block fire, which is actually the worst residential fire since World War II. And so what I'm trying to do is kind of draw out some of these really big incidents and really kind of dive into them and really trying to understand where are the warning signs, where are the lessons learned. Um, and so I kind of picked these case studies to kind of illustrate uh, that these are not mm. the first of their kind. They're certainly not going to be the last, but they're very memorable in people's minds in terms of the company motiveness behind them. Um, but I'm really, really pleased to, to tell you as well that uh, my book was only published in November, um, but it's already been regarded as the publisher's 2022 bestseller. So really, uh, really, really pleased. And I think it just goes to show you ultimately, you know, after everything that we're talking about, just how important incident response and crisis management is to so many different organizations across the globe, you know, irrespective of their size. That's that's interesting. So you were talking a little bit about how these things keep happening and we keep repeating history, right? <laughs> right? With our mistakes and all that. And thinking about it, do you think it's a technical uh, issue or a behavioral issue? What, what do you believe would be the cause of that? It's a bit of both. It's mainly, I would say, a behavioral issue as well as a process issue. Um, so when we hear these big events on the news, we tend to think, well, thank God it wasn't me, um, yep. or that's a different industry. It's a different country. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, these things happen to, to other people or other companies, but the reality is it happens to everybody. And it's just kind of, sometimes it's just luck of the draw. Um, uh, and I think really when we're talking from a cybersecurity perspective, it's really having an assumed compromise mindset. So that means with the best one in the world, the best technology, the best processes, the best people, you have to assume at some point you are going to be attacked. And it's a really that change in mindset from looking at something that may happen to it will happen. And I think that's the thing that's really important. Okay, yeah. I think uh, this pattern happens a lot, not only in cybersecurity, but in technology in general, right? Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting site. But uh, moving on uh, about the cybersecurity topic, I would like to know um, from you, which is an ex expert in the field, what are the current top five cybersecurity, cybersecurity threats that may impact an organization nowadays? Yeah, that's a great question, Pedro. So the most common um, threat is phishing. It remains phishing. Um, so over 80% of all cyber attacks start with some kind of phishing or credential compromise. Um, but what we're seeing is as technology is improving, and as you were talking about um, technology, um, the attackers are almost reverting backwards in terms of utilizing social engineering. So it's a yep. lot easier for attackers if they can get their victims or get people to willingly give up their own credentials rather than them utilizing malware or those type of things. So, you know, phishing really is the most common. Um, the most financially impacting cybercrime is actually business email compromise. It's very closely related to phishing. So if you assume that um, once someone's got into the email environment, they spend a long time 
looking at the relationships within the organization, external to the organization, who's who, they're building up a trust, um, particularly with regards to any invoices, accounting, and then they look to intercept a message. So that message might be to change a bank account, to kind of commit a fraudulent transaction, or to extort information from that person. To kind of so financially impacting a sort of business email compromise. Third one, the most operationally impacting cybercrime is actually ransomware. And uh, now people kind of think ransomware is probably the most financially impacting. Um, but actually yeah. the most money and the most fraud comes from business email compromise. The reason why ransomware is so wow. operationally impacting um, is because of the time it takes to recover. So if you've had, um, you know, part of your network encrypted or, you know, a lot of the services are down or you have chosen to take some of those services down, it actually takes a long time, not just to recover the environment, but also to ultimately evict the attacker because that's something we have to do. Uh, otherwise, they just stay in there. Um, so I would just sort of reflect on those are the kind of the top three that people would think about. Um, but actually, if we think about the war in Ukraine um, that's been going on over the last year, and it's a really a hybrid war, it's the kinetic war, it's the cyber attacks that are happening in unison. And there's two things that are really coming out of that that companies need to be really cognizant about. So the first one is the rise of destructive and wiper malware. So these are designed to completely wipe hard drives, cause as much destruction and disruption as possible. So you can think about it as ransomware without the extortion demand. So they're just trying to cause as much disruption as possible, but they're not really asking you for any money to restore your environment or to give you a decryption key. They're just trying to cause as much damage. The fifth area is the rise in disinformation and propaganda. Um, and I think this is something that people we need to be mindful about, particularly when we sort of see social media, how people are sharing information, how do you even know if it's if it's correct information? Um, but we're, we're seeing this particularly from nation state actors um, where they are trying to turn entire populations on or off to a specific subject. Um, so it's a really big area of focus from Microsoft as well going forward um, with regards to you know that that just sheer volume of data and the disinformation that's being utilized around that data. So those are kind of the top five things that I would sort of reflect on. Thank you so much. I, I was I was wondering because you were talking a little bit about phishing being like the 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 main reason of threats of today, right? And sometimes we think a lot about ransomwares and everything, but phishing is still a thing. And do you believe that these threats have maybe more human factor as an issue than the technical side of it as well like the same question i asked before but now for threats yeah the main thing that we need to mindful of about when we have sort of phishing business email compromise uh ransomware even with regard to disinformation it's about how people are being manipulated to take action um, so even yep. if you think about phishing, you know, the, the way that the phishing emails are worded, normally they are trying to elicit some kind of response from that person. So there may be a, you know, a threat behind it. It might be a one-time offer. 
It could be that that person's being threatened in some way. They don't take action immediately. Or if they're being offered you know, a discount or anything like this, what they're trying to do is elicit some kind of response so that that person is more likely to either open an attachment um, or they're going to click on a link that's going to take them to a site and they're going to start entering their information. So the way in which their people are drawn in to these type of um, phishing emails, that the attackers also, they follow the news of the day. Um, so if we think back over the last couple of years where we've been in a global pandemic, um, though they would have used COVID-19 phishing laws. Uh, we're potentially going into a global recession. People are worried about how they're going to pay their mortgages. Um, we've got an energy crisis. So if they pretend to be your bank or they pretend to be your energy supplier, they might again be offering you a loan or some kind of discount. So it's really trying to play to people's emotions, particularly if they're feeling stressed or feeling vulnerable. And that's really that human element that you were talking about, Pedro. And that's why we kind of say, whereas some of the attacks are, are automated um, and they're very much technology driven, um, the human yep. element there, uh, particularly as we sort of said from a social engineering and trying to get people to take some kind of action has to have a human element behind it. Yeah. So the the thing is, everything is becoming more and more technological and digital. Um, I believe the threats are just uh, starting to increase even more. And with your experience and what you see about this industry, how do you believe um, the cybersecurity space will grow uh, from your point of view over the next few years? Yeah, I think it's an important thing for people to remember, but that the onus is on the attacker to keep evolving their tactics. Um, so every time they bring out new malware, they bring out a new campaign, um, you know, multiple different uh, companies and technology providers are counteracting that uh, with regards to the technology that they're designing and building, uh, particularly if that's kind of automated in terms of automatically blocking known threats, new malware, and those type of things. So that's kind of why we're seeing this kind of evolution of social engineering we're seeing a huge increase with um, more and more attackers kind of going into the dark web to buy and sell their services. And so the barriers to entry for a lot of cyber attackers, a lot of opportunists are being removed. So actually, you don't need to be a technology expert. You don't need to be a cybersecurity expert for you to be able to launch a cyber attack because there's so many yeah. kits available on the dark web there's so much support they're actually being run as enterprises uh very much wow. like any other company um and so they're looking for a return of investment so um you know, for me to actually have this outlay whether i'm going to create some fake domains or i'm going to have this mm -hmm. kind of um scripting or whatever it is i have to have some kind of outlay myself before i can get any return and what does that return look like um, so what we're starting to see, in particular with you know with these phishing attacks and that kind of initial entry, a lot of those are done with scripting and automation, uh, particularly to try and get in and out as quickly as possible. So that might be their objective might be to just collect credentials, to collect the username, collect the password, and then that is sold at mass on the dark web. 
for them to actually fulfill their objective in terms of exfiltration of data um, or for them to be able to lock up systems or that could cause that kind of level of damage, um, they do need to physically be on the network. They do need to elevate privilege. They do need some kind of privileged admin. Um, and that's the kind of the, the real key there. So some of it is automated. Some of it is is the human element. And I think from a technology perspective, as you were talking about, Pedro, I think over the years, we see many companies investing in this kind of best of breed approach where potentially yep. they've now got multiple different technologies doing different things. And the, the, the issue there is that you then end up having blind spots or maybe lack of visibility or trying to integrate all of those things together gets increasingly more difficult. So what we really need to think about therefore then is how do we actually integrate all of those different technologies together? And it's not a case of um, removing all the investments that have been made, but really thinking and being cognizant about looking at the current technologies, the future technologies, and looking at how they're going to provide longevity, um, not just to today's threats, but also the threats that might be on the horizon. As I said, as the attackers are keep evolving what they're doing, what we're really trying to look at, therefore, is look at the entirety of the estate and also be mindful that cybersecurity is not just about the IT estate. You know, many companies have operational uh, technology, so they'll have critical infrastructure, SCADA systems, industrial control systems. And we're seeing more and more companies investing in smart technology, so they've got IoT devices. So we need to combine the IT, the OT, and the IoT together. So when you yeah. think about the attack surface um, and the amount of technology that that's spanning against, it's absolutely huge. And that's the challenge, is getting that visibility across all of those disparate areas being able to integrate and be able to tell a story uh, about how the attacker got in, what did they get access to, how were they able to laterally move across the environment, they, they um, elevate privilege, did they extract data, are they still in our environment, you know, how much damage have they done? And that's that's very, very hard to do when you've got so, so much disparate technology. So that's a real key with regards to that um, integration. But I was also the overall... Um, objective uh irrespective of what technology is being utilized it's not just in terms of the preventative measures that we we have um but it's really about reducing the mean time to detect and the mean time to respond and the quicker with the closer we can bring those two things together the better that chance that we've got to get of being able to effectively manage that attack okay yeah I, I believe my next question has everything to do with this, uh, the answer you gave. And I was uh, wondering, that's my favorite thing about technology in general. So I would like to know from you, what does the future hold for cybersecurity industry in terms of innovation? So can you share a little bit of your vision and what you would like to happen in the future and you would like to see in this industry? Yeah, it's kind of what I touched on earlier, Pedro, um, in the last question with regards to the, the more we build, the more the attack surface grows. Now, we absolutely want people to innovate, that we want to look at new markets, new technologies, look at new ways of working, do all of the things that are really cool. 
But the more they put out there, so every day we're seeing multiple new devices, multiple applications, new hosts coming online. Now, if they're not configured correctly, uh, we just end up having more and more vulnerabilities. So well, not only do we need to think about the vulnerabilities within our own organization, we need to look at the extent of the vulnerabilities externally well, across the whole of that kind of the internet. And I think that's really the challenge, therefore, is that getting that visibility as far and wide as possible. And from the attacker's perspective, they don't actually care how they get in. So you know, there can be all of these different uh, vulnerabilities. There can be, as you say, phishing attacks, there's malware, uh, there's social engine. There's so many different tactics and techniques, but their ultimate game is just to get a foothold in the network. Um, and then obviously to stay in that network as long as possible. Um, but really our objective as defenders, um, we need to think in the same kind of way. We need to think about it from the attacker's perspective about what they do and how they do it. And the real key from our perspective, therefore, is to make sure that we have security, resilience and privacy built in by design and by default. And really the, what that means is that collaboration and sharing of information is really, really critical across the whole supply chain. So it doesn't matter if you just make one part of the component or you make the final product. Um, there are so many interconnected parts into all of that. Um, you know, so much it's hardware, it's software, it's people, it's process. And we need to kind of think about that whole security life cycle end to end. Um, and I think where we are at the moment, we're almost kind of in a double-edged sword because everything that we do is predicated on data. And we are generating more and more data. So we've got telemetry data, metadata, GPS coordinates, transactions, logs. Everything tells a story. And from a business perspective, sure. that drives lots of valuable insights, improves our intelligence, our product design. But that exact same information can also be used for bad. It can also be used for nefarious purposes because everything is all about the data um, and how that data is utilized. So when we're thinking about the, the innovations and we're thinking about all of those things, we're not only are we having to protect the data itself, but we actually have to protect all the other data that's being generated at the same time. And that's really kind of where that innovation comes into play is really kind of sort of say really thinking about that change in mindset um, about having these things built in by design, but also then how do we protect all of the the algorithms? So if we're utilizing machine learning, we're using data analytics, yep. um, you actually have to protect all of that as well. Um, so <laughs> so yeah. It's quite, it's, it, it, the problem is not getting any smaller, put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you were talking a, a lot about keeping the data safe, right? And yeah. here at Valtteri, you're all about innovation and protecting data in general, right? So still talking about innovation and a very egoistic question from our side, but how does Valtteri come into play? How do you see Valtteri innovating and, you know, being something in the cybersecurity world? Yeah, it, it, do you know what? Valtteri fits in really well to what we were just saying about getting the balance right between security, privacy, resilience. 
as well as productivity. So as we said, we absolutely want and we need people and organizations to do all the cool things they want to do. You know, they want me to get online, you know, create all of these new products and services. And we've also got the metaverse uh, that is coming. Yep. We have to have that security and privacy built in. Um, and as we know, you know, the answer is not just lock more, lock it down and put more controls in place because ultimately that impacts performance. People get frustrated. They look for workarounds. And this is how we end up with shadow IT. Um and there's no malicious intent there from the people, but they're just trying to do their job. So our, 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 our job, in essence, therefore, is to make sure that they can do all of these things um, and they can get online and they can do all of that. They can do it in the right way. And I think the thing I really like about Vultry is probably twofold. So the first thing is around removing the complexities and usability when it comes to encryption of data. Um, but also how are you in fully encrypt and query data in real time? I think there's just been a real stumbling block before. Um, as we sort of said, because when it's fully encrypted, it's fully locked down, it has big performance issues. And I think it's testament to the research that's being performed by Vultry, um, to reduce the time, um, that it takes to obviously perform that encryption, but be able to query that data without any detriment to the end user. And I think that's a real key factor because I think from like, it was the sum of everything that we've talked about today, time really is of the essence um, exactly. in terms of reducing that time lag and being able to get people to do what they want to do. And I would probably say the final factor is probably what we've talked about already with integration, uh, particularly with a lot of the technologies and a lot of companies moving to the cloud. So that plug and play element and the ease of deployment, I think is really important, uh, not just for large enterprises, but also SMEs. I think historically they might not have had the resource or the know-how or even to imagine how they could even deploy such technology. So I think a lot of the work that Vultry is doing there is, is, is going to be such a game changer for so many organizations. Oh, that, that's so nice to hear and understand more about your vision and all the, the cybersecurity um, class that I just received to hear from you. So, Sarah, thank you so much for um, your time and for sharing your experience with us. Would you like to share any any additional words before we, we finish our conversation? Oh, no, I think it's a great conversation, Pedro. Thank you again for inviting me. And if you want to connect with me, please do so. On I'm on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. Thank you. Okay, that's perfect. Thank you, Sarah, so much. Thank you guys for being here so far. And see you next time. Thank see you. Sarah. Bye. Thank you for listening to VaultryCast. We hope you found our conversation insightful and valuable. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode, where we will continue exploring the latest developments in data security. Until then, keep your data safe. Bye.